We're going to focus on how we are to live because we have been forgiven by God. This topic is massive. God has a lot to say about forgiveness. We could spend weeks and weeks on forgiveness. And you all know something about forgiveness because as we have lived in this world, we are sinful people. We sin against people and people sin against us. And so most likely in some way or another, you've had to wrestle with forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary in order to have a healthy relationship. It is impossible to have a close, genuine relationship where there is no forgiveness. It will not happen. Forgiveness is required for us to have a deep, intimate relationship with God, and it is required for us to have a real relationship with other people. And you know the people who refuse to to practice forgiveness. They live bitter, lonely lives. Forgiveness is something that greatly impacts us and impacts uh, many of our actions and how we go forward. One writer wrote, Your convictions about forgiveness will shape how you respond when your spouse complains about how you season the chicken. Your views about forgiveness may determine how you handle a teenager who rolls her eyes or how you relate to an abusive parent or whether or not... um, or whether or not you go ahead and marry your fiancé, or if you should counsel your friend to leave her husband. You don't have to read every book on forgiveness, but you may, you may have to decide whether or not to change churches because of what the pastor or one of the elders did. The forgiveness choices you make will shape much of your life. For that reason, you must consciously work out what you believe about forgiveness and then intentionally put those beliefs into actions. I think he said it pretty well. The best way then for us to understand forgiveness is to come to God's word and we'll see what <clears throat> and see what he has to say about forgiveness. And so today, as I said, forgiveness is massive. And so we're just going to take one one slice out of the pie of forgiveness, just one piece. And we're going to look at that and we're going to primarily be focusing on as Christians. Why are we to be characterized by forgiveness? Why are we to be forgiving people? So we're going to look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18. Um, We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. Probably in your um, Bible it might say the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so because it's God's word, we like to stand in honor of God's word. So I want to invite you to stand. Starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went down and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now. We listen to your word, which you have given to us, which is inspired by you. It is your holy word, given as grace that we would become more like you, that we would know your will for our lives, that we, you, we, we would know how to live godly lives, that we would listen to your instructions, that we'd be rebuked when we live wrongly. And I pray now for your wisdom to be with us, that we would understand your word. I pray for humility, that we'd be shaped by your word. I pray, God, that as we talk about forgiveness, that you would, you would convict us in areas that we are unforgiving. That you would reveal to us if we have an unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving heart. Reveal to us any anger or bitterness that we harbor. God, also I pray in this that we, we see your comfort and your love and your joy. And we see that, God, you forgive and you love to forgive. And God, I, I pray that we understand the joy we have because of how you have forgiven us through your son, Jesus. Be with us now in your son, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have, you may have a seat. So we're going to make our way through the parable, kind of just some headings. There's a question. The question is, Peter brings it in verse 21. Peter comes and says, how often are we forgive the one who sins against us? Peter says seven times. Now in the first century, it was common teaching by the rabbi that you can forgive someone three times, but on the fourth time, you don't. There was a limit to how much you were to forgive. So Peter probably saying seven, thought he was being very gracious, going well beyond what the rabbis were teaching of that day, saying, should we do seven? Is that good? Before we progress and we go into Jesus' answer, I just want us to think, Peter is, is saying something here that I think we often take for granted. Um, he's saying that he knows he's going to be sinned against. And I think that's worth just pointing out. That so often, we act like we won't be sinned against. And I think sometimes we have a very difficult time forgiving other people because we act as if we're shocked that someone wasn't perfect around us. We act that we're surprised that someone sinned and we are offended. Uh, at times, it may be uh, compared to thinking that we live in a glass house and we think, surely no one ever is ever going to throw a rock at our house. And yet they do. They shatter our house, they shatter what we think, what we believe in, we become offended. But that's what happens. We are sinful people. We're going to sin. We are going to offend. We're going to offend each other here in this room. I'm going to offend you some at some time. You may offend me. And, and, and many of us, if not all, many, we're Christians. It doesn't mean we're perfect still means that we sin. Hopefully we sin less. But nonetheless, we will sin against one another. Certainly as believers we will sin. Certainly as unbelievers, they will sin against us. 
And so it's worth noting here, Peter is recognizing we are going to be sinned against. And I, I hope that you know that. Prepare yourself for those times. That's what we, one reason we have God's word. Prepare us. When we're sinned against, how do we respond? Let us not be surprised that we're sinned against. It's going to happen. So the answer Jesus gives. He basically says, we forgive indefinitely. Verse 22, Jesus says, no, Peter. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's saying, he's not saying, you do 490 times. But on that 491st time, you cut him off. You bring out the ledger, you show them, you give the proof, you did 490, they reach 491, no longer do you need forgiveness. That's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, he's saying, we are to be characterized by forgiveness. As a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, we do not keep ledgers. We do not limit on how many times we forgive someone. Rather, we forgive. That is to be the characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. So in order for Peter, in order for the disciples, in order for you and me to better understand why we're to freely give, that's why Jesus gives this parable. He's now going to give a parable to show why as believers, as disciples, why are we characterized by forgiveness? Why can he say, no, Peter, not seven, 490 times, 70 times seven, indefinitely we forgive. So this is where we're coming in. In verse 23, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Now stop. He's saying right there, he's cluing us into the fact that Jesus is about to describe what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And not any kingdom, but the kingdom of God. He's going, in this parable, we're going to see how a kingdom of God's citizen is to act, is to live, is to forgive. That's, that's the point here. This isn't any kingdom, this is God's kingdom. So the parable, there's a king, there's a servant. The servant owes the king 10,000 talents. And if you're like me, we just read right past that. We just kind of glaze over the word 10,000. We don't understand that because we don't use that type of monetary system. A talent was the highest level of currency at that day. Highest level of currency. The word 10,000 is the highest Greek numeral. There is no higher number than Jesus could have referred to at this moment. Saying 10,000 is like saying 100 billion. It is incredibly high. There is no larger number that Jesus could have used. And to give um, an idea of how much this is, a city's tax for an entire year may only be a couple hundred talents. Several provinces together may pay uh, four or five, six hundred talents. King Solomon in the Old Testament, he brought in yearly 666 talents of gold. So this guy owes 10,000 talents. This would have been shocking in the first century. Going, wow, 10,000? Who could have racked up a debt like that? Obviously, he cannot pay it back. We would have no hope of paying back a hundred billion dollars. This guy has no hope of ever paying back 10,000 talents. One more point on this. In order to rack up a debt of 10,000 talents, this guy is foolish. He's reckless. Let us not think that this is an intelligent person. Let us not think this is someone to be modeled after. This isn't just a business plan gone wrong. To come into debt of 10,000 talents is only because of uh, foolish, reckless living. 
And it's at this point that we are to realize we are like this servant. We have an infinitely large debt to God, and we have no hope of paying it off. It's kind of the comparison that's being made here. God created us in His image. He created us in His image that we would worship Him, that we would obey Him, that we would love Him. But because of sin, we refuse to obey Him. We don't give Him what is due Him, the worship that He is worthy of, but rather we reject Him, we rebel against Him. We worship creation rather than the Creator. We are the foolish, reckless servant. This is who we are. And we may, in our eyes, say, well, we look like we've lived wisely. But according to the Bible, because of sin, we're foolish. We're reckless. We've rejected God as Creator, as the one who is worthy of all worship. And we've worshipped other things. Therefore, we are in God's debt. In Romans chapter 3, we have this description of all of mankind. Greeks and Jews. Everyone. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Notice, Paul doesn't sugarcoat. Don't you like that? Like, he just kind of gets to the point. I appreciate that about Paul. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a description of man. This is us. Apart from any grace of Jesus Christ, this is who we are. We are the reckless, foolish servant. We're guilty before God. Because of our sinful natures, we sin and we're in debt to God. As we go on through the story, verse 25, we see the king. He's going to sell the servant, his wife, his children. Everything that he has will be sold. Now, don't think the king is doing this thinking. He's going to get his money back. A servant, a good servant, only went for about one talent. In doing this, the, servant, the, the king is not getting his money back. But he is giving justice. There is a debt. He cannot pay his debt. Therefore, he will be sold in slavery and he will suffer. He must be punished for his debt. The king does this because he's just. He's holy. He's righteous. He has to do what is right. He cannot simply just overlook offenses and say, well, you know, he had to run a bad luck. I guess I'll just excuse that, even though he rejected me, rebelled against me, and worshipped other things. You know, if the king did that, he would not be worthy of worship. He would not be righteous. He would not be holy. He would not be just. And just as a servant would be thrown into slavery and punished, so we will be because of our debt. God is just. He is holy. He's loving. Let us not think that because he is loving, that's different than him being just and holy. His love and his holiness come in perfect harmony in God. And so it is good that he is just. But because we are sinful, he must punish us. He must. Otherwise, he would not be just. He would not be worthy of all worship. He would not be the God who is perfect. Verse 26, we see the servant begins to plead with the king. 
all of a sudden. He realized he's been caught. He can't keep going in his reckless lifestyle. The consequences have now added up. He sees the problem. He therefore, he therefore begins to plead with the king. Have mercy on me. I'll pay it off. That's ridiculous. He's not paying off the debt. There's no way he's going to pay off. In the first century, as Jesus is reading this, no one's thinking, oh yeah, he's really going to pay it off. That's not going to happen. A talent is like 20 years worth of wages. He's not paying off the debt. But he's pleading. So what does the king do? His mercy. His mercy on the servant. He forgives him his debt. And at this moment, like those who were before Jesus would just be in awe. And our eyes would be, would be taken from the reckless, foolish servant. And they'd be fixated on this king. This king who is full of grace and mercy. This king who must be infinitely rich if he's able to forgive a debt of 10,000 talents. If he's able to forgive this debt, this has to be a king that has resources like, like we've never even imagined. He's full of grace, full of mercy. Our eyes would be fixated on this king. And we might ask, why? Why does he do this? How? Can he do this? And this, this parable doesn't tell us how. Now the, the rest of the scriptures, they tell us how. And if you know your Bibles, if, you've been a, if you are a believer, then you know the answer. It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. That's why. It's, it's our kids' Sunday school. What did you learn today? Jesus. Isn't that right? Kids come every day. Ben and Hannah. What did you learn today? Learn something about Jesus? Yeah. Learn something about Jesus. All right. That's good. That's good. Um, the parable makes it clear. Um, the rest of Scripture makes it clear what this, what this parable leads us to. That because of God's rich mercy in Christ Jesus, He's willing to forgive all who repent. The good news of God's Word is that He sent His Son from heaven to earth to die on a cross so that we who believe in Him would be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. There's hope for the reckless person. There's hope for the foolish. There's hope. In Acts 2, verse 38, Peter preaches. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, we're told, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins. It's good news because we are that foolish, reckless servant. Imagine this. I think it was... Uh, I think it was David Platt that used an analogy something like this. Imagine God's wrath is coming in full force against you like a raging wall of water, a hundred miles wide, a hundred miles tall. There's no way you're going to escape this. It's coming upon you and before, and right before it comes and crushes you under its weight. And you're just obliterated before this wall of water, this cavern, this, this ground opens up before you and swallows up all of the water and you're spared. And that's what the cross is. God's wrath is upon every single person because we've rebelled against Him, because we haven't lived according to what His Word has said. We haven't worshipped Him. We haven't loved Him. 
We've worshipped other things. And his wrath is coming full force against us. But he says, I sent my son that if you believe in him, then the cross will stand before you. And Jesus receives the full wrath of God instead of you and me. That's the beauty of Scripture. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news of Scripture. That Jesus came and absorbed the wrath of God so that we could enjoy peace and love and joy with God. This is how God remains just. He doesn't overlook your sin. He doesn't overlook my sin. If He did that, He would not be worthy of worship. He would not be a just king. He would be unjust. Therefore, he'd be sinful. Therefore, we would not worship him. But he says, I sent my son as your substitute, as my substitute, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, will be saved because the son comes as our substitute to stand in our place to absorb the wrath of God so we could have life. See, there's nothing that you and I can do to be forgiven by God. That there's nothing that we can do. But there's also nothing that if by repentance and by faith in Jesus that can keep us from being forgiven by God. There's no sin you have committed that if you turn, that if you repent and turn to Jesus, he will not forgive. There's no sin. There are people today terrorized by shame and guilt because of what they have done. And you may be here today and you carry your guilt upon you. Your shame. And it's like a burden that weighs on you. Or you know people that are like this. Perhaps you have been emotionally, physically, or even sexually abused. You feel dirty. You feel unwanted. And you say, certainly, God does not want me. Certainly, God could never forgive someone like me. But He does. He does if we repent and believe in Him. Perhaps you have had an abortion or filled with guilt thinking, no, God will not forgive me for what I have done. But He does. If by faith we come to Him in the name of Jesus, He forgives us by grace. I want you to hear, whatever you have done, God does forgive if we repent and have faith in Jesus. There's nothing you've done. There's no sin so great that Christ at the cross does not overcome by faith in Him. Hear that. Let those words comfort you. And take those words to those that you know. You have friends, you have loved ones that are terrorized by the guilt that they have. Because of things that they have done or things they have done to them. And they think, no God wants anything to do with me. And they think that they actually deserve hell. They deserve to be eternally punishment because of just who they are, what they've done, what's been done to them. But the good news of Scripture, of God's Word, is that no, He forgives by grace. So know that. Know that. God sent what is most valuable to him, his son Jesus Christ, to die on a cross that you and I would have absolute assurance that we are forgiven. He, sent, he didn't send some second rate gift, he sent his son that we would have supreme confidence that if he sent his son to die, we know if we believe in him, we will be saved. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. If you repent, Of your sins and trust in Jesus, you will be forgiven. So let's continue in the story. 
verse 28, we see that this servant who has just been forgiven this incredibly vast debt, this infinite debt, he finds someone who owes him a couple hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is about a day's wage. It's a decent amount of money here. A hundred days' wages, about a hundred days' worth of work, or yeah, a hundred... <laughs> Makes sense, logical. 100 days wages, about 100 days working. It's about a third of a year, half a year. If you're a teacher, a lot less. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not bragging on teachers. They, they work hard. Um, it's just cool. They only work nine months of the year. Uh, just kidding. I'm so going to get like an email later from that. Uh, but the point 100 denarii, 10,000 talents. They're seen to be at absolute odds with one another. Completely small, insignificant number. Incredibly huge, infinite number. He's been forgiven the infinite number, and we have this little, petty debt. So what does he do? He finds this man. He begins beating him. He begins choking him. He wants his money. The man pleads, as the other servant had just done, and he says, no, no, I, I will pay you. He pleads with him. But the man ignores his pleading. He throws him into prison until he'll pay off his debt. So the king hears about this. God always knows. He sees everything. The king hears. He calls the servant before him. Now, verse 32, we're getting into the key part of the parable here. This is where we're going to gain our full understanding of the parable. Do not miss what is said now in verse 32. You wicked servant. Now don't think that this is like sugar-coated. Don't think that, that he has his arm around him as he's saying this. This is a full-on rebuke. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? There's anger in this. Don't, don't miss this. This isn't you wicked servant. I forgave all your debt because you pleaded. No, this is you wicked servant. One theologian points out the monstrous inconsistency here. You've been forgiven zillions, yet you won't forgive peanuts. This is massive inconsistency here. How can someone who has been forgiven the greatest, most infinite debt, who they, if they hadn't been forgiven, would suffer in all eternity in hell, how would they not now Forgive the debts that they have with others. They're incredibly small comparatively. Don't forget the question that's been asked. Peter asked earlier, how many times are we to forgive? Jesus says, we forgive indefinitely. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. The parable is helping us understand why as a disciple, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're to be characterized by forgiveness. We have been forgiven the greatest debt so we can forgive others when they offend us our debt has been against the creator of the universe the one who made us in his image the one who made us to worship him to love him and our debt and our sin causes us to think that when we're sinned against that we are the most offended party that's not the case the most offended party in every situation is God. He is always most offended. So whatever is happening, and I, as we're talking today, I mean, we're including all sins here. 
every horrendous, horrific sin you can imagine about. And, and those are some terrible sins. And we can list them out. There are serious ways that we can hurt one another. But the one who is always most offended is God. And let us never forget that because we are sinful, before our grace in Christ, our every action was offensive to God. Our every action was. God is saying, if you've truly been forgiven of your infinite debt, you ought to have forgiven this person. How could you not? It's a vast inconsistency that is unable to actually occur. The point is, those who have experienced the forgiveness of God have been transformed so they too can forgive others. That's the point. We have been forgiven so much by God and that in the process of being forgiven by God, He makes us new. He forgives us. He transforms us that we would forgive others. This is the testimony of Scripture. When God forgives a repentant sinner, He saves that sinner. He brings him into the family, into his family forever. You will not find a single point in the Scriptures where someone is forgiven that they are not also reconciled to God. There is no, when there is forgiveness, there is reconciliation. And this is where we're not going to get into a lot of other areas of forgiveness. We're thinking, well, I can forgive them even if they don't repent. And, and what it's like, uh, the various issues that we can struggle with forgiveness. We could, we could have a long conversation on, well, what if this or what if that. Forgiveness is two ways. You can't, technically, you can't forgive someone if they don't want to be forgiven. Just so you were aware. Forgiveness always involves reconciliation. Everyone who Christ forgives is reconciled to God. So it's not a, I forgive them, yet they're not repentant and they don't care. Now you can have a forgiving attitude towards them. You can love them, but you won't actually experience forgiveness with the person because there's not reconciliation. And that's a whole other question, or that's a, a tangent we're not getting on to, but I just want to bring into the point that God is, when He forgives, He brings us into His family. There is always reconciliation to God. There is always brought into an intimate relationship. God removes our sins. He fills us with joy and makes us like Him. We can forgive others because we've been filled with the joy of God. We know that we've been forgiven this infinite debt. No longer do we have to hold grudges. We have to hold on to bitterness. We have the great joy of knowing that by grace we have been forgiven a debt so massively huge that we never could have paid it off. And because of the Spirit who lives in us, the joy and peace and grace we've experienced from God now flows from us into the lives of others. So, what we're saying is by forgiving others, we're completing the joy given to us in Christ. When we forgive others, we're completing the joy that God has given us by forgiving us of our sins. What I mean is, so my wife, uh, she made ice cream pie the other day. And let me just tell you, she makes a mad ice cream pie. It is amazing. Like, this crust is amazing. It's good. She can't even eat it because she's lactose now, intolerant. So she makes this for his kids. So it's just this wonderful form of grace. And she, like, suffers. as like we, we eat this in front of her. And we devour this one piece left. And I'm fighting the kids for it today. Like, we are going to fight. We'll practice forgiveness afterwards. But we're going to fight for it. But um, 
But when we eat this pot, like it, it is so good that, that we have to say, wow, Steph, or the kids say, Mom, this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you for this. Is, this is so wonderful. I love this. And you know what? It's that outward verbal expression that completes the joy. Like if I just ate it and didn't say anything, like it, the joy wasn't completed. But it's going back to my wife and saying, this, this is amazing. Thank you for making this. I love that you do this for us. It is that outward expression that completes the joy. And so it is with forgiveness. When we forgive others, it is the completion of the joy that we have in Christ for the forgiveness that we have received. It's the way of completing that joy. It's the way of maximizing that joy. But notice, the servant is called wicked and given to the jailers, which the word jailers actually means torturers. Because he is not forgiving. He is not Christ-like. He is not a believer in Jesus Christ. He demonstrates no joy, no grace, no mercy, no love, no forgiveness. His actions testify. He knows nothing of God's love. He knows nothing. The point of this parable is not to say that a believer can refuse to forgive others and still have salvation. That is not the point. The point of this parable is not to say that if a believer refuses to forgive others, he will be disciplined but still be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is not the point. Do not think that is the point. The point is that God lavishly pours out His amazing grace on our infinite debt through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we'd be saved, transformed, filled with joy and mercy and love and forgive others. That's the point. Because of what God has done for us, made us new, we now forgive others. Let me read a few verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I think you have the, these references, so you can go look at these later. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgave, God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 13. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Matthew 6, verse 12, then 14 and 15. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Luke six thirty seven. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Luke seventeen verse three and four. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Notice repentance and then forgiveness. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Let me clarify. We're not saying that in order to be forgiven by God, we must forgive. That's not the order that's taken here. That's not what these verses are saying. Well, if you really want to get right with God, forgive others, make sure you're good, and then God will look down upon you, and if you've done that good enough, He will then say, well, now I forgive you. That's not the case. Rather, we forgive because we've been forgiven by God. A disciple is characterized by forgiveness because we're being made in the likeness of the King. 
We forgive because we've been completely satisfied with the forgiveness of God and His mercy now flows from our hearts towards others. That's the point of this parable. Our willingness to forgive is to be evidence that we are made new, that we have been forgiven by God, that we are a disciple of God. Now you may say, hold on. You're making it sound like forgiveness is a necessary part of the Christian life. Is that really true? Well, let's look at verse 35, the warning. Verse 35, Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If we refuse to forgive others, we have no place in the kingdom of God. We have no place in the kingdom of God. Just as God threw the wicked servant to be tortured, so he will do to everyone who does not repent and believe in Jesus. If we choose not to forgive, if we hold on to grudges, if we hold on to bitterness, if we choose to rebel against God's word, ultimately we're choosing hell rather than God. That's the testimony of Scripture. We're not saying you lose salvation. What we're saying is that a disciple, one who is truly saved, forgives other people. God is serious about forgiveness. He crushed His Son in order for you and I to be forgiven. He gives us His Spirit to live inside of us. And I love uh, what 1 Corinthians 3 says, so we would be conformed into His image. Now it is degree by degree by degree. So it's not as if on day one, we just simply go, wow, I just want to forgive everyone. But... We are now forgiven that we would grow and become more and more forgiving people. Let us not fall into the lies of Satan and, lies of Satan and sin and think that we can hold on to grudges, that we can hold on to anger, that we can hold on to bitterness, that we can hold on to other sins and hold it above them and not forgive them. By your refusal to forgive, you're asking God to f- refuse to forgive you. By holding on to wrath, you're rejecting grace. Let me read, um, let me give a few reasons why we don't forgive. And I, I hope that this is helpful. This was helpful for me. I was reading a book um, by Terry Johnson. It's on the parables of Christ. And it was really good. And he lists, I think it's five reasons on, on why, as Christians, often we, we struggle to forgive. So I, I think number five is probably the most pointed. Uh, 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 it's probably the, the, the one we need the most. But I think these are all true. And so I. Just pray through these as, as we read them. We're going to go through them kind of fast. Um, but pray that God would reveal it if any of these characterize you. We refuse to forgive others because we enjoy martyrdom. We want others to pity us as we tell them all the things, that, that all the ways that we've been wronged. We enjoy having the pity of others. So we refuse to forgive. We refuse to forgive because we enjoy anger and hatred. Bitterness gives us something to talk about. It gives us something to gossip. It gives us something to talk about at the water coolers. It helps us to remain skeptical, never trusting. It gives us a reason why we're not happy. I can say I'm not happy because of you, because of you, because of you, because of what you did to me. I keep things external. I get a hold on to my, my pain as if it's something that I deserve. And I get a hold above you. Number three, we refuse to forgive because we make non-repentance an excuse for ongoing spite. Now, it's true, you cannot forgive someone if they don't repent. There is no one who is ever forgiven in Scripture who does not repent of God, who repent of their sins before God. No one goes into heaven who hasn't repented. No one. 
Repentance is a condition of forgiveness. And so yet, what we can do sometimes is say, well, he hasn't repented, so I'm not going to love him at all. I'm not going to have a forgiving spirit towards him. I'm not going to love him and shower him with grace and mercy that hopefully God would use that and through prayers, you know, soften the person, that he would be aware of his sin and that he would repent. No, I'm going to, I'm going to treat him like a jerk. I'm going to cross my arm. I'm going to turn my back to him. If he's not going to be loving, I certainly won't be loving to him. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere does God say that, but he says that we are to be characterized by love. It's by love that the world will know we are disciples. So let us not make the actions of others the reasons for why we sin. Does that make sense? Let's not respond sinfully to being sinned against. Number four, we refuse to forgive for the fear we're being taken advantage of. I've heard this one many times. I don't know if they're really sorry. I don't want to be treated as a doormat. I'm not just going to give forgiveness if they don't really want it, if they don't really deserve it, if they don't really know the pain that they've caused me. I've heard that. I've I've been there in some sorts. I really want them to know the pain, what they really did. You ever feel like that? They need to know. Where are we to be the judge of that? How are we to be the judge of their heart that we have an accurate understanding of how repentant they truly are? And let us not think that forgiveness removes consequences. If someone murders someone, the family of the person they murdered may still forgive that person. They still might be able to experience forgiveness, but the person is still going to suffer the consequences of, of going to jail. Let us not think that forgiveness just obliterates all consequences. There still may be consequences. It's just what happens in this world. But let us, so let, don't, let, don't refuse to forgive thinking, well, now, now there can't be any consequences. But let us not refuse to forgive because we're fearful of being taken advantage of, because we're not sure of how repentant the other person really is. And the last one, we refuse to forgive because we think too little of the magnitude of the debts that God has forgiven us. This, this I think, is the crux. If we get this one, we'll understand the other four that came above this. We'll truly never understand how amazing the good news of Jesus Christ is until we understand how much we've sinned against him. I remember at one time, we were going through a series, this was where I previously was, and we are preaching just kind of on sin and how much we've sinned against God and how much he's offended at that. And someone came up and said to me, look, this isn't good stuff. We don't, we don't want to focus on the sin and how much we've offended God. We need, we need to preach on something a little, a little easier. And I said, the, the other stuff's not good news if we don't know how much we offended him. We need to know what was forgiven. How much have we been forgiven? What does it mean that God sent his son to die on a cross for me that I could have life? If I don't understand the magnitude of my sins before God, then I'm not going to understand the grace that was given through Jesus. So it's okay to dig into Scripture to better understand your sins, how sinful we are. It's okay to do that. Before we, can, before we can freely rejoice in the forgiveness that we have and, and demonstrate that to others, let us go deep into the knowledge of God's word about what it says about our sin and how much we've been forgiven by God. And because we've been forgiven, we can freely forgive others. And when we forgive others, we're not boasting in our goodness. When we forgive, we're not saying, wow, look at me. We're saying, look at God. The only reason I can forgive you is because of what God has done in my heart. I forgive out of the joy, out of the gratitude, out of the the grace that has been given to me. 
To lovingly forgive others is a powerful testimony to this world about the grace of God. It is one way we demonstrate the grace of God to others. And when we forgive others, we're being witnesses to God. We're being witnesses in this world to God. That's why in one reason, the church, we ought to be the most forgiving people. And the world will look at that and say, how do you guys forgive each other so much? How do you forgive others so much? That's incredible. And we say, it's by God. It's by his grace. Also, forgiveness is an act of worship. The better, understand, the better we understand our sin and that forgiveness reconciles us to God, that no longer we're separated from him, we know that now we're brought into that relationship that we can worship God. We're being made more like God. We're being made more like his son, Jesus. And because we are forgiven, we have eternal life with God. One of the greatest testimonies in this world that we can exhibit about the grace of God is to forgive. Is to forgive. So I, I want to, as we pray, and even as we go through the songs um, at the end, as we, just, as, we, as we worship God, I want us to mindfully be thanking God for the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. Just mindfully be thinking of that. I also want us to pray that God would help us better understand the forgiveness he's given us at the cross. And let us pray that we're forgiving people. So three things. Let us us thank God for his mercy in forgiving us. And let us pray that we better understand forgiveness. And let us pray that we'd better forgive others. Let's pray that we grow in that. They would spur one another on in that. Let's close. Our Father, you are merciful, gracious, forgiving God. And God, I know that I do not think deep enough about the forgiveness that you've given through your son, Jesus Christ. I know there's times I take it for granted. I know, I know there's times that I'm not uh, filled with joy, filled in awe. I know that there's times that I'm not as free to forgive others as, as I should be because of your grace. I pray that for me and that for us as a church, that we'd be characterized by forgiveness. God, that we'd be gripped by the reality of how horrendous our sins are, of the magnitude that they were, and how infinite that they were before you, and that at the cross you forgave them all. God, help me, help us to understand that. God, help us to grow in joy and thankfulness that we've been forgiven by your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, help us to forgive others. Help us to forgive others. May may we truly see others' sins against us with the perspective that we have in Scripture. That it is nothing compared to how we have sinned against you. It is nothing in comparison. But that your grace that has forgiven us is in us that we would forgive others. And help us to know that. Help us to embrace that. Help us to be so full of joy that we willingly love others. We willingly forgive others as a means of worshiping you, as a means of testifying in this world of your grace. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you. And God, if there's anyone in here that does not know you, that has not repented, that has not experienced your forgiveness, I pray they do. I pray your spirit works upon their heart now that they'd want to know more about you. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen.